the G7 meetings clearly declares, let's get divorced with China. Okay. Asking ASEAN to get divorced from China, it's just simply impossible. It will not only deteriorate ASEAN's trade, but also ASEAN's economic growth as a whole. The AIG Global Trade Series 2023 is a series of podcasts brought to you by AIG in partnership with some of the world's leading centers of expertise on global trade. Visit www.aig.com forward slash GTS. The series moderator is Rem Kortovec of the Klingendal Institute. Hello and welcome to this episode of the AIG Global Trade Series 2023. This is your host Rem Korteweg from the Klingendal Institute in the Netherlands. And today's topic is what role for ASEAN in global trade? What are the dynamics shaping ASEAN's trade policies? Southeast Asia's economies are growing at a rapid pace. Taken together, the 10 Southeast Asian economies now form the fifth largest economy globally behind the US, China, Germany and Japan. Now, intra-regional trade is slowly moving along, but thanks to the new RCEP regional trade agreement, which includes China, extra-regional trade is booming. And just on RCEP, it is worth noting that ASEAN took the lead in making this trade agreement reality. It currently covers more than 30% of global trade and entered into force on the 1st of January 2022. So it makes sense now to take stock of what this trade agreement has delivered. Now, almost 80% of ASEAN's trade is extra ASEAN, and among them, China is by far the largest external trade partner. In RCEP's first year in force, China's trade with ASEAN covered about 50% of all the trade that ASEAN did outside of the immediate member states. So supply chain resilience has now also become a major topic of interest, how are ASEAN economies dealing with this? And how is ASEAN influenced by the supply shocks in the international trading system? Not just the trade tensions between the US and China, but also the supply shocks associated with the pandemic, the post-pandemic recovery, and the Ukraine war. ASEAN's most important trading partners are China, followed by the US and the EU, as these three trading blocs seek to increase resilience, diversify supplies, and reduce their strategic dependencies, which in some cases means decreasing their trade exposure to each other, where does this leave ASEAN? Is it being caught in the middle? What is shaping ASEAN's role in global trade, and how will outside dynamics impact it? To make sense of this, I'm joined by two fantastic speakers. Firstly, from Manila, I'm joined by Sin Young Park. Sin Young is Director for Regional Cooperation and Integration at the Economic Research and Regional Cooperation Department at the Asian Development Bank. Ms. Park works on ASEAN's economic development and integration, and together with her team, she develops the Asian Economic Integration Report. She's been a main author and contributor to the Asian Development Bank's major publications, including its flagship Asian Development Outlook. Ms. Park specializes in Asian macroeconomics and the economic implications of external shocks. And secondly, from Jakarta, I'm very pleased to welcome Lilianne Ng. Lily is lead advisor for the Southeast Asia region at ERIA, the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia. She is also the Secretary General of the International Economic Association. 
And prior to joining ARIA, she was lead advisor to Indonesia's trade minister and senior advisor on trade and investment to the Indonesian president. A very warm welcome to both of you. Now, let's get started. And perhaps, Lily, with you first, to help set the scene, to what extent are regional trade ties intensifying across ASEAN? And if so, what does this mean in the current context of what you could describe as a fairly turbulent trade landscape? I think ASEAN has made a very good progress in terms of intensifying trade and investments. ASEAN has set up as ASEAN economic community and then ASEAN extends its trade and investments with its main trading partners, basically China, Japan, Korea, India, Australia, and New Zealand. By having this ASEAN economy community and the RCEP, which has been just recently launched, ASEAN has solidified its positions as a production hub where goods, services, and skilled laborers are mobile. On top of that, in the current summit, ASEAN aims to also have ASEAN digital economic community by 2045 because ASEAN understands uh, the importance of robots, AI, and digital technologies and how they could intensify and facilitate trade in goods and services as well as investments. That's interesting. And and what do you see, uh, Sin Yung, as the main political or economic dynamics shaping this growing trade or economic integration among the, the Southeast Asian economies? Well, ASEAN has been um, already driven by strong sort of political will for regional cooperation and integration. Uh, as uh, Lily uh, mentioned earlier, um, ASEAN has formed a strong, uh, you know, regional group to make that progress towards the ASEAN economic community. And that political will has been the driving force for stronger growth in, uh, you know, intra-regional trade and investment and also the mobility of talents and uh, then uh, other, like, you know, regional cooperation efforts. Economically, one of the main drivers for the region's trade investment has been, in fact, the growth of uh, China and uh, its uh, catalytic role in uh, promoting uh, ASEAN as sort of like a production hub in the global value chain. And I do feel that uh, China did play an important role in somehow deepening the regional uh, trade and investment uh, integration in ASEAN. The statistics I just mentioned, are, and both of you have mentioned this as well, that there's a certain degree of growing intra-regional trade. But you also mentioned, Sin Yung, that the importance of China and RCEP are very obvious. Does this mean that taking stock of one-year RCEP shows that you know ASEAN has been benefiting massively from increased and deeper economic integration with Chinese supply chains and, and, and the Chinese economy? Or how do, how do you read that? Well, I think it's a bit too young uh, to have any impact, actually. It's probably correct to even look at the uh, momentum building into the signing of RCEP. That's what matters. China has been a strong catalyst for actually intra-regional kind of like a trade investment. Given that China worked as uh, assembly hub with 
a lot of imports coming from the intermediary and then the primary goods coming from ASEAN for assembly of the final goods in China. And that promoted also the intra-regional like the investment as the China became also a major sort of, uh, you know, the investor of FDI into uh, ASEAN. Prior to RCEP and then uh, the uh, probably onset of COVID-19, one of the memorable kind of, uh, you know, the event was the outbreak of the trade conflict between U.S. and China. And in some way, worked a bit of a positive for ASEAN economies as the foreign investment coming into Asia, like, uh, you know, mostly actually uh, destined to be in China. And then U.S.-China conflict kind of played a role in diverting those FDI from China to ASEAN. And then ASEAN uh, also emerged as a good alternative to uh, Chinese production sites. And that also kind of like, you know, attracted uh, some of the uh, FDI. You know, although I think the momentum of uh, trade and FDI slowed during the COVID time, going forward, as the trade tension continues to uh, exist, uh, this might still have a little bit of a positive implications for ASEAN, uh, especially like in terms of its integration into the global value chain and then uh, its positive effects on also the intra-regional trade and investment for ASEAN. Yeah, then we'll, we'll continue on that theme in, in, in a second. I just want to bring in, Lily, on this question of intra-regional versus extra-regional trade in ASEAN. The ASEAN economies are very diverse. There's a massive difference between the economy of Laos and the economy of Indonesia and the economy of Singapore. Where is the most momentum, you think? Is it on building ASEAN as a, an economically integrated unit to foster much more intra ASEAN trade, or is it to be able to separately plug into, say, Chinese supply chains? Because both seem to be happening to a certain degree. Right. I think you highlight a very important point, Ram. Uh, if you see, like, over the last two decades, the share of intra-ASEAN trade to total ASEAN trade with the world has been actually stagnant between 22 to 23 percent, okay? In 2020, Intra-ASEAN trade was 22%, while taking examples of intra-EU trade stood at approximately 60%, okay? An optimistic view claims that while intra-ASEAN trade may be relatively stagnant, ASEAN's exports to the rest of the world have been increasing. This is true. But for me, the relatively stagnant intra-ASEAN trade is quite a concern, right? The reasons is threefold. First, most of ASEAN's products are substitutes rather than complementary. Second, uh, this is more technical issues, regulations and procedures on rules of origins and non-tariff measures can create barriers to intra-trade. Third, ASEAN is not a self-contained region as we still rely on investments and technologies from countries like Japan, South Korea, and now China, okay? So therefore, our current strategy is not only increasing intra-ASEAN trade, but our current strategy is to increase intra-East ASEAN trade and investments, aiming to enhance regional integrations and economic cooperations within East Asia. 
tapping into opportunities that provided by countries like Japan, South Korea, and China. So that's one of the solutions for ASEAN to be able to leapfrog and tap the opportunities available in the East Asia's regions. That's really interesting because it ties also to one of the themes that we're touching upon in the broader uh, set of, of podcasts that we're doing this year for the AIG Global Trade Series. And that is this notion of growing regionalization. Because what you're saying effectively is that the strategy is not just intra-ASEAN trade, but it's it's in a in a in a regional context. Neither of you have talked about extra regional opportunities. Could could you say something about this? Is this deliberate or is this simply a function of of geographical proximity? What is the the, the broader global agenda of the Southeast Asian economies? Well, uh, Lillian uh, is pointing out uh, uh, really like the important ones. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that we, we sort of like uh, share the same sort of uh, steps, steps and the, uh, also the fact that uh, ASEAN as it is, that's still like not sort of uh, reliant on the region. It is very much reliant on the external markets, external technology, and then uh, also external investment. Also, in terms of trade, like excellent demand as well. China has been an important kind of uh, player uh, in uh, making ASEAN uh, integrate. But ASEAN sort of productions have been relatively like, you know, substitutes for each other rather than the complementary. That means, you know, like uh, when China as uh, like, you know, maybe the final sort of production top or like uh, U.S. as the final consumption uh, destination, ASEAN are relatively competing rather than they are, you know, being somehow integrated to produce those things. So, or like, you know, uh, uh, meet that uh, consumption demand coming from outside ASEAN. This is a bit of a weakness from the ASEAN integration point of view. You know, if you want the region to be more stronger as an integrated sort of like economic community, what you need really is a broader spectrum of technologies, broader spectrum of value creation, uh, that are linking uh, each other and then uh, creating sort of like, you know, the complementarity across uh, economies. That's something that I think ASEAN uh, has to like, a little bit more um, closer look at, um, you know, how strategically achieve going forward. Thanks. And, and, and Lily, um, before you address the same point, perhaps adding to what Sin Yung said, are we seeing increased interest from, say, European economies and the United States to invest more in the ASEAN economies because of a more lukewarm approach that they are having towards China? In other words, are we seeing a China decoupling effect in U.S. and European interest in Southeast Asia? That's a very important point. One is that in terms of ASEAN's external trade, I think it's not really by design. I think geographically and by economic businesses, it just happens that very natural ASEAN expands to East Asians first, right? And then the second thing, this is very important that we need to highlight is that one of the good things about ASEAN, ASEAN is not a custom union, okay? While ASEAN countries stand together as a group, they also maintain the freedom to engage with other countries or other blocs. So the, this flexibility allows ASEAN member countries to pursue their own interests and benefits from various partnerships and agreements 
while preserving the unity and cohesion of the ASEAN community. So I think that's a good thing of ASEAN. That's why ASEAN is very flexible. Related to your second questions, I mean, what I, I mentioned in the first point, right, that ASEAN has flexibility. As we can see, the 10 ASEAN countries are able to be the member of the RCEP. So the RCEP basically consists of the 10 ASEAN countries plus five main trading partners, China, Japan, South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand, right? At the same time, four ASEAN member states can also be a member of CPTPP, which is the U.S., which is, had been the U.S.-led, which is now the U.S. withdrew, right? But this kind of flexibilities allows ASEAN to reap the benefits which will be good for ASEAN as a unit, united, like a united bloc or their own personal country interests and benefits. So I think that's a good thing about ASEAN is that we give flexibility. It's, it's like we are in the relations, you know, we are bold to live together, but we give freedoms for our partners to choose whatever goods for their best. But turning to CPTPP, because it's interesting. I mean, there's one way is saying that it creates flexibility for ASEAN, that it's not a customs union. On the other hand, you could argue, well, that means it's not a single economic bloc. So why talk about the ASEAN economies as a whole? And I think CPTPP is an interesting case in point. A somewhat more uh, cynical question would be, is CPTPP not something that actually challenges then the cohesion and the coherence of, of ASEAN? How, how do you see that, Sinyo? Well, actually, I agree with you in, uh, somewhat in terms of that kind of like, you know, the lack of bullying um, could be, I think, a bit of an issue if it is uh, seen as a uh, fragmentation and then uh, also uh, in terms of uh, practical implementations of uh, you know, various trade agreements. In fact, RCEP is uh, really very much centric on, uh, centered on ASEAN plus three free trade agreements. It didn't really add significantly more in terms of greater sort of like a market access or like, you know, uh, or more sophisticated or, uh, rules and standards or rules of origin. Actually, like yeah, from any uh, like a firms or in any ASEAN economy, to apply this kind of like, you know, either RCEP or like ASEP plus one or CPTPP, it's going to be very much complicated because I think uh, you might have also, you know, uh, heard of like this noodle bowl kind of type of uh, many sort of uh, trade agreements exist simultaneously and, uh, you know, the capacity and then the ability to implement of uh, either firm or an economy very significantly across ASEAN. As, uh, you know, like uh, we all know that the ASEAN is a very diverse kind of like an economic group. So it's very hard to uh, have like a multiple sort of like, you know, the free trade agreement exist at the same time. I think maybe to some it might be signs of a flexibility or signs of good things, but many firms of the um, multinational that try to invest in the ASEAN, it may actually present that kind of like, you know, difficulties and the challenges and the dilemma. Could you bring us up to speed on where the other sort of ASEAN as a whole trade initiative stands? So the ASEAN plus one trade deals. I mean, RCEP is, is a little bit more than ASEAN plus one, although there's a really big 
country uh, in, in included, namely China. What other trade initiatives are being developed by ASEAN as a whole with outside trading partners? Well, ASEAN plus one exists in all ASEAN economies, actually. Like, you know, the ASEAN plus, like the China, there's ASEAN plus Korea, ASEAN plus Japan. So there is the ASEAN plus one, basically, ASEAN plus Australia, ASEAN plus New Zealand. The ASEAN was uh, created on the basis of these, like, uh, all ASEAN plus one. And if you think of, uh, like, you know, maybe the countries that are new to the RCEP at the same time are going to be, like, uh, actually plus three, not ASEAN. So Japan, Korea, and China probably for the first time entered in the same, like, FTA, regional FTA, through RCEP. But ASEAN actually had the uh, free trade agreement with, like, you know, all these uh, other countries, actually. So this is, uh, RCEP is actually like, you know, the mega sort of like a regional trading block that is imposed on the, like, you know, kind of like a bilateral between ASEAN and then those plus one economy. So for ASEAN, if you think about it, it's not really adding like that much of a market. That- yeah, no, it's sort of the umbrella framework for a lot of these ASEAN plus one initiatives. The question I have for you, Lily, is there's also, besides CPTPP, which we talked a little bit about, which includes four ASEAN countries. There's also this new U.S. initiative called IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. I can see you smiling. How is this resonating among the ASEAN economies? Well, to be honest with you, IPEF, first of all, IPEF is not a trade agreement. It doesn't provide any preferential market access, right? Second, politically speaking, the IPEF by design leaving ASEAN divided by excluding Cambodia, Laos, and Myanmar. So this is going to bring political consequences and could some extent may create economic and political divergence among ASEAN countries, right? And I learned that some critics is that the IPEF is more for gaining the U.S. domestic votes instead of creating or taking policy measures for its members. So... Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest with you, I don't see any significant advantages for ASEAN countries from the IPF other than just for political stance that's saying ASEAN is not taking any side with China nor US. Do you agree, Sim? No, not really. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe not for ASEAN as a group, but IPF is actually a um, high standard uh, new trade platform which is uh, building on like in a different sort of like modules. And uh, of course, if you look at the market access as the quintessential essence of uh, trade agreement, uh, IPAP is certainly not um, that type of uh, you know, trade agreement. But this is about really the rule setting. And then uh, depending on like, you know, where you sit, actually, especially even in ASEAN, maybe not ASEAN as a whole, because our parents are very diverse group, Singapore is definitely gaining a lot of advantage coming from being part of that kind of like a rule and then standard setting sort of, you know, the platform. I don't think it should be actually seen as, a, uh, it's, it's not really like a talking about the, you know, building a trading block, right? Taking a view that the trade agreement is only useful, only good when it provides uh, access to a new market or allowing you to, um, you know, explore like, you know, cheaper resources by aligning your economy or your trading partners with others. 
then certainly uh, IPEP is not going to provide any of those. I don't think that the new trading system for you know future is really uh, building on just market access providing trade agreements. So going forward, like you know, we need a lot uh, more uh, regulatory sort of cooperation and then the rule setting and uh, sharing the same common sort of goals that be it like you know how to fight against the climate change, how to make the uh, growth uh, you know more. Uh, inclusive, and then how to make the trade more like, you know, sustainable and then inclusive. I think, you know, if we want to have a, uh, a little more of normative systems for multilateral trade, then I think uh, this, the IPEF actually provides a kind of like, you know, new window. So, Lily, um, on this point of uh, the WTO, we know that there are challenges to the WTO. Many people are writing commentaries saying that uh, we are on the cusp of of growing trade fragmentation because of not just the problems at the WTO, but also growing China-US trade tensions from an ASEAN point of view, but perhaps also from an, from an individual ASEAN member state perspective. How is this being viewed? I mean, is there a sense of worry? And what are ASEAN economies doing in in response? And I think it would be really particularly interesting to pick your brain on one of the countries that you know very well, namely Indonesia. Yeah, I think like it's not only for Indonesia. Most of countries in the world are now very worried about the current fragmentations and particularly US-China threat tensions, which is now extended to technology and security tensions, right? I agree with Chiyong in the sense like it's very important for us to work together at the global level, strengthening the multilateral systems in facing all the global challenges such as climate change, energy transitions, and to make sure inclusive growth. But to highlight on the current threat tensions, I think it's only political will from both countries to be able to change because at the end of the day, it's about their domestic issues, right? I mean... Probably from ASEAN point of view, it's very important for Indonesia and ASEAN to increase or to strengthen its middle power countries politically and economically, make such voices work together with other middle power countries like South Korea, Brazil, South Africa, just make voices that what would be good for the world. And I note that we haven't really talked about Europe that much. But I'd be curious, just because I am in, in Europe, what, what, how does Europe feature in the conversations that you're having in, in terms of Southeast Asian trade, uh, trade relations? And particularly, one thing you hear these days a lot in European capitals is the necessity to strike resource partnerships with countries like you know, Indonesia or Malaysia. Do you see some of that materializing? And uh, if so... What do you take from that? Before I respond to your questions, let me share my observations on the current G7 and G20 meetings, okay? I think while the G20 aims to have the world to become as one family, as India mentions, as a theme, the G7 meetings clearly declares, let's get divorced with China, okay? Asking ASEAN to get divorced from China, it's just simply impossible. It will not only deteriorate ASEAN's trade, but also ASEAN's economic growth as a whole. So I think 
ASEAN in this case should be standing its voices that ASEAN will keep natural positions, not taking into sides to any other dominant countries. But at the same time, ASEAN keep engaging economically to all parties. Right. And, and, and then on that point of, of Europe's specific bilateral relations with individual ASEAN economies, again, I th- I, what I hear a lot now is the context of, of resource partnerships. There's also a bit of a discussion in, in terms of friendshoring of, and Sinyung, you talked about that Southeast Asian economies are seen to be alternatives to China, particularly in, say, a China plus one strategy you hear European businesses talking about. Sinyung, perhaps you first, what, what do you make of, of these discussions that are taking place in Europe, but also in the U.S. for that matter? I think in principle, you know, it will be more resilient and then a little bit more sustainable if the world has multiple polars uh, rather than somehow, you know, relying on just the two polars now or like, a, or like uh, somehow we have just one big polar. So Europe is still a very important uh, trade partner for many regions. I think for ASEAN, you know, Europe continues to be a quite a important uh, trade partner. I actually agree with Lily. It's not going to be very um, easy to divorce China. You do need diversity in your trade partners. I think like as a whole, like share of if you look at the uh, total trade volume across between ASEAN and across different regions, it increased significantly. But then, uh, in terms of the share of uh, like a China, or share of like Europe, or share of like a US in the total ASEAN trade, you have a really substantial like you know the increase in the share of Chinese trade in ASEAN. So. Chinese weight has increased substantially. And uh, as of now, I think that Europe and then the U- U.S. continues to uh, take up a sizable share. And then I think that's actually good. For ASEAN, it would be nice to have like a big kind of, you know, maintaining the balance. And uh, for ASEAN, is it actually maybe not a good idea to divorce China, but is it actually a good idea for ASEAN to actually have a, like a very Chinese-centric trade? I don't think that's actually good either, right? Um, because uh, that also kind of breaks the balance. In many respects, that's very comparable to the discussion that's taking place in Europe right now as well. In Europe, there there is a degree of concern about how far we, we are willing uh, or able to to decouple from China. It's not really the decoupling, right? But it's more like concentration. Like what we have to worry a little too much is like, you know, concentration of the suppliers, a concentration of the market. Absolutely. Yeah, their diversity brings out uh, like a more resilience and then uh, also like a low, it, it actually builds a better kind of like a long-term, like a trading environment for the world. And I also find that actually the, the, the story becomes more nuanced depending on the sector you talk about. And you know, we talk about the trade landscape as if it's a, a homogenous whole. But could you... Could you bring us up to speed? I mean, which which sectors, in your view, are most affected by these trends at the geopolitical level as they pertain to ASEAN economies? Yeah, I mean, as you know, like there are two issues currently, right? Technology tensions as well as securing critical minerals. So, of course, like this kind of two decoupling will gonna bring negative consequences first on semiconductors sector 
ICT, mining, and minerals. But at the end of the day, it will gonna affect lots of manufacturing sectors, machinery, parts, medical, mechanical, electronics, appliances, so many sectors. Well, I can say essentially it's going to affect the whole sector and the whole economic systems, right? And if I may come back to your questions on the role of EU, I think EU, I mean, from ASEAN's point of view, ASEAN actually put a lot of hope to be engaged more with the EU. The main constraints is that EU is always bringing its super high standard for ASEAN. As you mentioned, ASEAN's considering the level of development in ASEAN countries. I'm, I'm taking, I'm giving you a simple example. Okay, in the EU, the richest countries compared to the poorest countries, the GDP per capita is only 15 times. Okay, but in ASEAN, Singapore GDP per capita is 67 times of that of Laos. 67 times, you know. So that's a huge, just, just taking examples of GDP per capita. If we take into account government's regulations, customs clearance, and all the procedures, it's just going to a huge divergence, right? So if the EU really want to be engaged with ASEANs, I think EU should consider this kind of the level of development gap, as you mentioned in the beginning, the level of development gap in ASEANs. I think ASEAN will be very much welcome to be engaged more with the EU. And I think that will be a good step for not only for both parties, but also for the world. This is a final question. Is there a role for ASEAN to help manage the trade tensions between the big trading powers? Or is it ASEAN's role to really manage its own relations with both poles? So to avoid rocking the boat, to diversify, to both have close relations with the United States and, and, and China and Japan and, and, and others. But is there also perhaps a more proactive role that it can play? That's a difficult question. You can give it to Cheo first. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, you know, ASEAN um, is a sizable as a group. And then, uh, yeah, like it, it can actually be... Um, Casting border or like honest broker in uh, many ways. To do so, it is important also for ASEAN to think of like, you know, like a more, I think, like a high standard kind of rule abiding system, you know, rather than uh, like uh, going for just uh, economic benefits or financial gains in front of your eye, thinking about like over the long run, what would be actually good for not only just for the region, but also for the world. I think, uh, example, like, you know, we were talking about the rule setting, right? Like, you know, then uh, what, what can ASEAN actually bring to it? These new platforms for digital rules or like, you know, the environmental provisions and the free trade agreement. Like ASEAN should actually, I think, go a little bit beyond uh, just uh, thinking, you know, like uh, maybe deciding on uh, these uh, international like a uh, trade agreements or like a uh, some certain provision is this actually opening the market is this actually like a tariff reducing or is it actually beneficial for my own country i think that has to be okay like uh, does it actually have uh, a potential to reduce carbon does it actually have like you know more peaceful kind of like you know or like at least a stability boosting so in terms of having like a trade agreement, there has to be a bit 
better way of, uh, you know, thinking about specific sort of like a provision than just the gains from the market. Yeah, and but it's also worth noting that a number of individual ASEAN member states do play that more proactive role. And you look at Singapore's role in, in the in the DEPA Digital Economic Partnership Agreement, where it really is is in a minilateral constellation, really trying to push the envelope and and moving the global trade agenda forward when it comes to digital services trade. Anyway, final final word word for you on this, uh, Lily. Yes, I mean, that's that's a very important issue. I totally agree with Cheo. One is that it's very important for ASEAN to strengthening the multilateral trading systems, actively engage in discussions to solve the issues at the multilateral level. Second, together with other middle income, middle power countries like South Korea, Brazil, South Africa, together we make such a good voices uh, for the world. I think it's very important not to be dragged down by the current situations. Third, I think it's very important to keep our positions as a promoter for peace. ASEAN should keep itself as a neutral and promote for peace uh, in any kind of international community communications. The last but the most important one, I think, is just also, for, I mean, as you know, ASEAN's considering the current political and economic situations is relatively not as strong as other middle power countries, right? So it's very important for the dominant countries to understand that ASEAN's will not going to take any sides because they will not going to solve any problems for ASEAN's. And with that... Unfortunately, we have to close off because that is all we have time for today. Thank you very much to Lillian Ng and to Sin Yung Park for sharing their very valuable insights with me. I thought this was a terrific deep dive on ASEAN's role in global trade, where we looked at regional trade integration, relations with China, the United States, the European Union, and everything in between. Please check out our other conversations for the AIG Global Trade Series at www.aig.com gts or get them on the platform you usually use to access your podcasts. The AIG Global Trade Series 2023 is an international partnership between AIG, the Aspen Institute, Germany, SEPRI, the Brazilian Center for International Relations, Chatham House, the Klingendahl Institute, the Institute of International Economic Law at Georgetown University Law Center, ISPI, the Italian Institute for International Political Studies, the Jacques Delors Institute, Rieti, the Research Institute of Economy, Trade and Industry, and the St. Gallen Endowment for Prosperity Through Trade. To access articles and opinion pieces from partners in the Global Trade Series and to listen to more episodes on global trade, visit www.aig.com forward slash GTS or follow the AIG Global Trade Series wherever you get your podcasts.